Well, Luke chapter 5 is where we are this morning. Would you take your Bibles and let's go there this morning. 5, verse number 17, and we'll read the scripture together before I share God's word with you. Uh, Luke chapter 5, starting at verse number 17. A very familiar story to most of you, but might be new to some of you, but um, I think uh, you'll enjoy it. Let's stand together as we read God's word. Luke chapter 5, starting at verse number 17. One day, as he was teaching, starting in verse number 17 of chapter 5 in Luke, one day, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men carrying a paralytic on, on a mat tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on a roof, lowered him on his, on his mat, threw the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow speaking blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? It's a good question, isn't it? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what had been lying, he had been lying on, and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. I pray especially that you would open our eyes, our hearts, and our minds to what you would say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated. Well, Monday night was a very, uh, very interesting night for if you're a football fan. On Monday night, the Buffalo Bills were playing the Cincinnati Bengals. And about the end of the first quarter, there was, a, there was an incident that happened on the football field. Most of you probably have heard the story already. You've probably been praying for this young man. His name is Damar Hamlin. And Damar was a safety for the uh, Buffalo Bills, and he made a tackle. This was the tackle right here. Um, of a wide receiver. It didn't look like anything unusual. If you watch football, it looked like a normal tackle from a normal two guys just banging into each other and falling on the ground. But what happened afterwards was traumatic. Damar went into what we call and what is known as cardiac arrest. His, the hit hit him at a certain spot in his chest at the millisecond when his heart was, was uh, beating a certain way, and it caused his heart to stop. And for the next half an hour, 35 minutes, the entire stadium that was full of energy and life came to an absolute silence and standstill. Both 
teams gathered around Damar on the field as the uh, as the training the, the training staff and medical personnel worked on Damar trying to get his heart to start start again. For ten minutes he was they were doing CPR. And if you know anything about our our physiology, our bodies, our bodies are not designed to uh, to live in this state. And CPR is one of the one of the great um, medical procedures that can sometimes save a life. And thankfully, after him going to the hospital and being in, 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 in ICU for a few, few days, he is now talking without a respirator, and it seems like he's going to be okay. But that night, the whole world stopped. For the first time in, in history, a player's injury caused a game to be first temporarily suspended and then canceled because it didn't seem like it was worth anything when you just saw a man die, it seemed like die on the field playing the game. And sometimes in life we need something to rattle us. We need something to shake us. We need something to, to get our mind and our attention off the sometimes the, the, the unimportant things and put it on the important things. And I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I've been, where all of a sudden things happen and all of a sudden you go, whoa, you know what? Life is short, first of all, and life is eternal and not temporal. And I really need to be thinking about something much bigger than what I'm thinking about now. And so today, I want to talk to you about something that I think is really, really, really important. Something that is important to God, something that is important to me, and hopefully something that's important to you. And that's the eternal destiny of each and every person who lives on the face of the earth. It's one thing to be on cardiac arrest. It's another thing to think about your eternal destiny. Just a few weeks ago, I was, uh, as, as you know, I was, in a, I was in a hospital room where my sister, who had went into cardiac arrest, and they did CPR on her for 35 minutes before the ambulance got there. And unfortunately, the damage to her brain was such that she never recovered. So watching that incident on the field was sort of close to home for me. But as I stood in the hospital room of my, my sister, I realized, Lord, I am not so certain where her eternal destiny is. I don't know where her heart's at. I don't know what's going on. But Lord, I know she knew, and I know she, she'd heard, and I'm praying, Lord, that she's right with you, and I'm praying she's with you now. And my heart and desire is that there would be no one who would leave this earth without knowing Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. It's my job and it's your job, all of us who are followers of Jesus, to take the responsibility to pass it on, to share it with somebody else, to share the good news that God loves every one of us and wants all of us to have a personal relationship with him. And the longer we're believers, unfortunately, the less contact we have with unbelievers, the less contact we have with people who don't know Christ. And it seems like we become more and more isolated and we become more and more focused in our own little world. God wants us to reach out and to focus on who's our one. The scripture tells us in uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 30, so the love of the Lord, so love the Lord 
your love, so love the Lord God with all your passion, your prayer, and your intelligence, and your energy. If you're going to love God, you're going to have to love other people. There's no other way around it. To love God and to not love other people is not to love God at all because God loves all of us. And he wants us to passionately love him and passionately love us. He says, never be lacking in zeal, but keeping your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. I was amazed this week as, as, the, as the days went on after DeMar Hamlin's um, terrible accident or terrible situation on that field, how the, the, the discourse, the, the talk on all of the sports radios and all of the newscasts that used to talk about teams fighting on the football field to win a game, they started to talk about real life. There was even one sportscaster on ESPN that in the middle of a, of a regular NFL sort of talk show, stopped and said, you know what? We've been talking about praying. I think it's time we pray. And right there on national television, first time I've ever seen it since I've been alive, somebody stopped and actually prayed. They bowed their head and prayed for God to come and move in a powerful way. And I was like, yes! They weren't afraid. And even yesterday, before the beginning of the Las Vegas, Kansas City game, the NFL Today show was on. And what were they talking about? They were talking about prayer. And it was Randy Moss, one of the greatest NFL receivers of all time, who said to the whole cast of players here, we need to give God praise for answering prayer. And I said, wow. It's amazing how one incident has changed the perspective of so many and their fervency and energy and la not lacking spiritual zeal, but speaking up in a public setting. I don't know if those guys will be employed after this. It would seem like it would be politically incorrect, but it was bold and courageous. All because they said, you know what, I don't care anymore. I don't care anymore. A young man almost died on a field. What about you? What is it that's going to wake you up? What's going to drive you to the place where you say, God, wake me up to what's really important. What really matters. And what really matters is the hearts and minds of people. And so today, I want to ask you this question. Who's your one? Who is your one? Who is the person in your life that you should be praying for, that you should be, that you should be reaching out to, that you should be sharing your faith with? Yesterday, I was so amazed at, at Carol Unfried's uh, funeral service, memorial service, and I was, I was just blown away that this woman was a woman of prayer. She was a woman of prayer. She had a chalkboard in her house, and she wrote down names of anyone and everyone that came across her, her, uh, her, her life, and she wrote them down, and she would pray, and she would pray, and she would pray, and she would pray. She was a person that was not set just on this world, but she was set on the next world. And she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed. And the impact of so many lives because she took time to pray. Could I ask you, do you have a prayer list for lost people? Are you praying for somebody who doesn't know Christ? 
Are you intentionally working in such a way to reach them? Or are you spending more time with your own little agenda in your own little world, in your own little sphere of, of life, and you don't even realize that there are people all around you who need Christ, who need Jesus, who need to know the Savior, who need to know life, and life in all of its abundance. So this morning, I want us to look at this story because this story is a wonderful story about four guys, four guys who wanted to get their friend who was paralyzed, a paralytic, in front of Jesus. You know the story. You've heard the story. I mean, I was looking back at my, my sermon notes, and I have preached this passage over 20 times in my 30 years of preaching. I know it backwards and forwards. I, I looked at it and I was like, God, this is so familiar, but it's so, it's so wonderful that it's a beautiful picture. It's found for us in the book of Luke. It's also found for us in Mark. You know the story really well. You've probably heard messages on it before. But let me remind you of some things that it teaches us. The first thing that I want you to see is that you should be on mission with God. You should be on mission with God. These four guys were on mission for God because they realized that the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, has come to seek and to save the lost. You say, why did God come to the earth? Why was he born in a manger? Why did he spend 33 years on this planet? Why did he die on a cross? He did it simply to seek and save people who don't know him. And that's his same mission today. That's the mission of the church the great commission that he has given to us. We are called to go and to seek. And so on this occasion, you'll notice that Jesus was teaching. And while he was teaching in a, in a house, it was a crowd of people that gathered around him. It was so full, as the Gospel of Mark tells us in chapter 2, the same story, that there were so many people crowded around him in this house that there, couldn't, there wasn't any room for anybody to get in the door. Can you imagine if it was this place? We had standing room only. They tell me that it, the, the capacity of this facility is 2,470 people. Can you imagine this morning if we had 2,470 people in here in standing room only, face to face, within a th just having about three, three foot square around you, and that's all the space, and it was packed out from here all the way to the doors? And even running out into the parking lots, that would be a huge crowd. That's kind of the picture we see here. But notice that the detail, and I'm going to come back to this detail. There were Pharisees and teachers of law who had come from every village. And notice it says he came from Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. This would be like saying they're from Bakersfield and Fresno, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and all of California. All of the representatives of religious power were there. And the scripture says the power of the Lord was present for him, that would be Jesus, to heal the sick. Imagine the scene for a moment. Packed out, yet there is like a group of people who are the religious Pharisees of the day. There would be like, you know, in, when they had the State of the Union address, the Supreme Court comes filing in. And they sit on the front row. And they don't clap. They don't respond. They just sit there. It's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. 
And here we have Jesus standing in the middle of this great crowd. And the air was so thick. It was so full of the power of God that the scripture says that there was power enough for him to actually heal somebody of sickness. There was also tension in the room. Because the Pharisees were trying to catch Jesus doing something he shouldn't have been doing. It's the first, by the way, of five stories in the book of Luke that talk about the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees that ultimately lead, lead up to the place where they accuse him of blasphemy, of using the name of God. This was one of the first ones. And you see there, and then he says, some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat. In other words, they said, they said to their friend, maybe they were in the small group together. Maybe they were, maybe they were on a, uh, you know, a baseball team or a softball team together. Maybe they worked together. We don't know much about these four guys. We don't even know if these four guys knew each other, but we assume that the four guys knew the guy in the mat. And they bring their friend to Jesus. Because Jesus is there, they know he's going to be there. we got to get our friend in front of Jesus. They were on mission with God. And for us this year, here's my prayer for you. That you would join God in his mission. His mission is reaching the world. God is already in our world. He's already working in our world. He's already drawing people to himself. And he wants you to join him in doing his mission in the world. That means you have to be much more intentional, much more deliberate about getting people in front of Jesus. It's not going to happen unless you and I work with God through prayer, through relationship building, through invitation. Sometimes you just got to beg, borrow, and steal them to get them here. But whatever we got to do, we've got to get people in front of Jesus. We've got to get on mission with God. Amen. Whatever it takes is what we've got to do. And that's exactly what these four guys do. Because notice the scripture goes on to say this. It says, by the way, I gave you some questions in your thing. What drives you? What things spiritually has God put on your heart that you long to see coming to fruition in your lifetime? And I love this question. Do you have the kingdom dreams such as people coming to faith in Christ? Or are your dreams all tied to this life? In other words, we can get so caught up in a football game that we think the football game's the end of the issue. But this week taught us, you know what? Football didn't really matter. I don't even want to go back on the field to play the game. I'm going to the locker room and I'm getting on my knees to pray. Something matters much more. A man's life is in balance. And that's the event that shakes us up. And sometimes we need to shake up in our families. We need to shake up in our marriages. We need to shake up in our finances. We need to shake up in our time. We need to shake up to say, what is really going on, oh God? God's saying, I'm trying to get your attention. What's driving you? What's driving you? Be on mission with God. Who's your one? Who's the person in your life that you should be reaching? Who's the person in your life that you should be asking? 
Second thing, do something drastic. Notice the story goes on. When they could not find a way, I love that phrase. When they could not find a way, when they couldn't get in the front doors on this side, they went to the doors on this side, and they couldn't get in those doors, so they came to the back door, and the back door they couldn't get in, so they went to this door, and they couldn't get in. So you know what they did? They climbed up the, up the, up the ladder on the back of the building, and they walked across the, the, uh, the, the flat ceiling, and they dug a hole in the ceiling, and they dropped their friend down in front of Jesus. How many of you would agree that's drastic? I mean, that's a drastic thing to do here. But they realized they couldn't find a way to do this. They didn't say, oh, well, we'll just come back another day. Oh, well, you know, we'll just, we'll just you know, it must not be God's will. I, I gave it a good shot. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, it just wasn't meant to be. And oh, how easily we give up. How easily we give up on people. How easily we stop praying. How easily we stop inviting. How easily we stop doing the things that really matter. And we go back to the things that don't matter. But these guys were different. They said, no, we're going to get them in front of Jesus. Because he says, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. There's another little detail in the Gospel of Mark that is a little different. I love how Mark puts it, the same story, it says, since they could not get him into Jesus because of the crowd, they made, now catch this, an opening in the roof above Jesus, and I love this phrase, after digging through it. The roofs in those days were about two feet thick. Can you imagine what they were using to pick the roof apart? Sticks and mud and, and, and branches and going this way and that way. And they're just digging and digging and digging and digging. I can see four guys all around the circle and they're just digging. How big of a hole do you need to get a guy on a mat to go down through it? It's got to be at least six feet long and three feet wide. Can you imagine the commotion that was happening in the crowd as the eyes took their eyes off of Jesus and started looking up as the stuff was falling down in on them? It's drastic measures because they wanted to do everything they could to get them in front of Jesus. You see, if you're going to do something for God on mission, you're going to run into what I call obstacles. There are going to be lots of obstacles. Obstacles of your time, of your money, of your love, your attention. Could be obstacles of, 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 uh, of things like somebody's work schedule. Whatever it might be, there are going to be obstacles. I don't know if you know this, but there's another force in our world keeping you from reaching people for Christ who don't want them to know Jesus. And they will do everything they can. There will be obstacles. But not only will there be obstacles, there will be opposition. Because remember the little detail that Luke gives us? That, by the way, Mark doesn't give us? The Pharisees are all sitting in the front row. They've come from all over California. 
and they're watching. I don't know if you've figured this out, but bringing somebody to Jesus is not easy. It's not. Sometimes they oppose you. Sometimes their families oppose you. Sometimes society opposes you. Culture opposes you. There's obstacles and opposition. Your job is not to allow the obstacle or the opposition to stop you from doing what really, really matters. I'm sure Dan Olowski, who prayed on ESPN, did not get the okay from the producers. Hey, at this point in the show, why don't you just stop the whole show and lead in prayer publicly? Why don't you just bow your heads? I'm sure it violated all policy and procedures and political norms, but he did it anyways. Who's your one? Who's your one? Well, there's the third thing I want you to see. There was a creation of some space for God. When they could not find a way because they, of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles. Now catch this. I love this little detail. Into the middle of the crowd. Right in front of Jesus. Now what I'm assuming here is that Jesus is not standing on a platform at one end of the room. Jesus is probably in the middle of the crowd. And the crowd is probably surrounding him. I'm sure the room wasn't this big. But there wasn't much space. And these four guys decided that we need to get our friend in front of Jesus. And therefore, they wanted to make sure that when they got to the roof, they found the middle of the house, the middle of the place where Jesus, they knew Jesus would be standing. And they dug the hole there and lowered the man down in front of Jesus. Our job is to create space. For God to do his work. I can't be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will do the Holy Spirit's work. God's power will do God's power thing. My job is to create environments, cultures, places where God can work. That's why we designed new ministries like Connect 56 because we decided that there was a, there was a, a unique place here for 5th and 6th graders that, that was unique. They, weren't, they didn't want to be children yet, but they weren't quite teenagers yet. So we said, let's design a ministry that's designed for them to bridge this gap between one and the other and that that could be a, could be a breathing point for them to graduate out of children's ministry and to anticipate getting into youth ministry. It was a space. We have some wonderful leaders 
who have created space in their own life to serve in that ministry. They said, you know what? I'm willing to give up my time, my, my love, my attention, and I'm willing to put myself in a place where I can create space in me, create space in my schedule, create space in my talent levels, and I'm going to give that to God, and I'm going to ask God to do what God does. For you and me, we need to make space for the one that we need to reach. Henry Nouwen says this. Let me go back. Discipline in the spiritual life is consecrated effort to create the space and the time where God can become our master and where we can respond freely to God's guidance. Thus, discipline is the creation of the boundaries that keep time and space open for God. That's why I think, could I just tell you, I believe with all my heart that God wants us to create space where we worship him every week, collectively as a group. We should create space for us to get in God's word as Pastor Kyle so wonderfully preached last week, where we remain in Christ and his words remain in us. That's a discipline. We create space to say, Lord, I'm going to serve you using my gifts and talents for your glory, for your grace. And I'm going to reserve this space to what's really important, oh God. They asked us to set aside, set apart time and a place where God's gracious presence can be acknowledged and responded to. In the beginning of every year, I really think it's important for us to look at our time, our spaces, our schedules, our checkbooks, and ask, have we squeezed God out? Have we allowed the, the fra- craziness of busyness to consume us to the place where we don't do the things that really matter anymore? Who's your one? Well, when you're on mission with God and you decide to do something drastic and you create some space for God, here's what you can expect. You can expect the unexpected. When Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? Now, this is interesting to me because I've looked at this, I've preached it from this angle many, many times. I said, you know what? The paralytic didn't have faith. It was the four guys who had faith. But I think the paralytic had faith too. I think their faith includes the four guys plus the paralytic who's on the mat. It's just my theory. And he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, I can imagine him laying on the mat, and you say, he could have said, well, 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 well that, that's nice, but, you know, I, I want to get up and walk. He didn't say that, but I'm assuming he had that in his mind. 
I'm assuming that the four guys that were bringing him to Jesus was bringing him not so much for forgiveness of sins, but for physical healing. So they got something totally unexpected that they didn't expect when he said, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. By the way, the Bible does say without faith it is impossible to please God. Faith, as we learned in our Roman series last year, is essential for salvation and forgiveness to happen in a person's life. It is by faith you put your faith in Christ. It's by what he has done for us, not by something we earn, by achieving it, by being good, or by being, trying to bargain with God. We put our faith in Christ and in his mercy and grace. I just wonder if there would be times where there might be somebody you're praying for and they have physical needs, emotional needs, financial needs. They have, um, they have needs in their life that they don't know where to go with them and you share how God would help them to meet those needs. But the greatest need every human being needs is forgiveness of sin. No matter what the need is, it's always going to point to the need that's deeper and deeper. And the need is reconciliation with Almighty God through Jesus Christ. And so a need can lead to the greater need. Here Jesus meets the greater need and then comes back. My phone talking to me again? Who's your one? Now catch this. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking about these things in your heart? Now, the verse I didn't give you there is that the Pharisees, they all, they all I'll just go to my Bible here. It says, it says, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who's speaking blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Remember the guys on the front row? Spring court sitting there? Trying to catch Jesus and doing something he shouldn't be doing? Oh, we got him. Blasphemy right there. Death. You deserve it. Who has the power to forgive sins but God alone? And so Jesus knowing what they were thinking. I love that phrase too. Jesus knowing what they were thinking. They weren't thinking out loud. But Jesus knows exactly what you're thinking before you think it. Shh. That's scary. Which is easier, he says, your sins are forgiven, or say get up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Here's what's interesting to me in this. Why didn't he just say to the man, get up and go home? Why take your mat with you? I mean, he's been laying on that mat for now for years. You would think that he'd say, leave your mat and go home. But he tells him to get up and take the mat with him. He gets up and he's carrying the mat. Everywhere he goes, carrying that mat. 
He goes home. Where does, he, where does he put the mat, Josh? I mean, what do you do with the mat? The mat you've been laying on. What do you do with it? What do you think, Rob? On the mantle? Maybe put it on the wall and say, the mat I used to lay on. What do you think, Terry? Where would you put the mat? In front of the door. Front of the door. You'd walk on it every day. Get your feet done, huh? I guess, I guess huh? I mean, what do you do with the mat? What do you think? You don't know what you do with the mat? Here's what I think. I think he told him to take the mat home because he didn't want him to forget what he was doing, what he has done, and what God had done. Can you imagine people showing up at the paralytic's house and says, hey, what's that mat? Well, let me tell you the story. You see, I would like you guys to have a reminder today. Up here on the, on the altars are some cards. They're bookmarks. On the front, it says, who's your one? On the other side, there's a place where you can write a name on there of who's your one that you're going to pray for this year, that you're going to share your faith with this year. And then there are uh, 30 days of scriptures that talk about reading, reaching your one. And every day for the next 30 days, you can check off a scripture. And you can start praying for your one. This is your mat. Take it home. Put it in a place that's prominent. Put it in some place that you'll be reminded. Put it in a place to say, I need to remember what's important. Today on the football field, everybody's wearing DeMar Hamlin's number three. And everybody, every field has the number three in his colors. Reminding the football players of what's really important. Amen? Worship team's going to come. We're going to sing a song. And as we sing together this final song, here's what I'd like you to do. If you'll dedicate yourself this year, and you're going to hear me ask this question for, the, for 2023, you're going to hear this question. Who's your one? Who's your one? How's your one doing? We're going to keep it in front of you every week, every month. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to, we're going to work together. We're going to give you some tools to help you to reach your one. Because we want to make sure that this year, the year of evangelism and radical hospitality, which I'm going to talk to you about in two weeks, I want you to come and get your, your, your mats, your bookmarks. I want you to put it in your Bible. I want you to put it on your mirror. I want you to put it on your dashboard of your car, wherever it might be that will remind you of who is it that God has laid on your heart to reach this year. Who are you praying for? Who are you building a relationship with? Who are you going to invite? And if you don't know somebody, then your first prayer is, God, show me. Show me. Show me someone that you want me 
to be on mission with you, to do something drastic, to create some space. Amen? Stand with me, would you?